0: done before. Uh, I'm going to teach the same text I taught two weeks ago because I feel like um, there's still more that needs to be said. Uh, sometimes I think we look and we just move on to the next thing pretty quickly. But the Word of God is alive and active. It's why it can speak to us. The same text can speak to us in different ways at different times. And I felt like um, there's, there's something that Jesus says here that's like really unnerving. And I think we need to like we need to tackle that as we close out this this series on, um, on forgiveness. So I want to read for you uh, this story. If you were here two weeks ago, this will be familiar to you. But it's it's Jesus talking to his disciples about forgiveness, and he tells a story to prove a point, a parable. Um, and it starts. Uh, this is Matthew eighteen, starting in verse twenty one. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And going back to two weeks ago, the brief comment I made on that was like, sometimes, man, we got to forgive people a lot, like over and over and over again, till it, till it really kind of starts to stick, like stick in our heart. And that's what Jesus is getting after here. That sometimes the pain is, is, is so painful that one, one sort of moment where you say, I forgive you, isn't enough. That it takes a while and it might, have, it might be 77 times. But Dean goes on to tell this story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master offered that. The master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had been sold, um, all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay you back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him be patient with me and I will pay you back but he refused instead he went out went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt when the other servants saw what had happened they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened then the master called the servant and you wicked servant he said I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servants just as I had on you in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed. And this is, this is what sort of stuck with me and why I wanted to go back into this text, this verse. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. That's the hardest, you know, the, the most hard-hitting part of the passage right there at the end. The king um, forgives the servant, and the servant in turn does not become a forgiving person. Like that that experience with the king did not move the needle in his heart. He did not become a a forgiving person. He just went to look for the person that he could take take advantage of after after he had been forgiven. And at the end, what are we told? He's not just thrown into jail. But in anger, his master turns him over to the jailer to be tortured. And Jesus, just to make sure that his listeners get the point, says, This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Jesus is saying that an unforgiving heart leads to eternal punishment. That's not a super feel-good sort of message. And it it should stir our hearts. But right away, if you're a Christian and you've been you've been hanging around this church at least, you're going to hear like the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and that is like that we are not saved by good works. Um, you're not saved by your moral performance. Um, nor do you lose you know your salvation based there you know, on your moral performance. But you are saved by Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. You are saved by the redeeming works of Jesus Christ and his work, his life, his sacrifice, not yours. It is a free gift. It is not something you have earned nor should try, but it is something that he has given us. And so what is Jesus then saying here? Because it's confusing. Um, is he saying like if you forgive people you'll go to heaven but if you don't forgive people you'll go to hell because that would not sound then like the gospel but at first glance that's exactly what it what it sounds like and why I thought we need to come back to this because this is not what Jesus is saying there's actually a parallel passage later in Matthew which is which is a bit it's as perplexing as, 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 as this one. He's, Jesus is teaching on the, the day of judgment, the day that all of us will stand before the Lord. And he looks at a group of people and he says to this certain group of people, like, you did not feed the hungry, you did not care for the sick, you did not shelter the homeless, you didn't visit the prisoner in prison, therefore away from me and go off into eternal punishment. And that's another text where we sort of go on the surface. It looks like Jesus is saying like, you'll get into heaven if you serve the poor, visit, um, visit those in, in prison. But if you don't, if you ignore the needs of the poor, uh, if you ignore, you know, the, the needs of, of those who have been in, imprisoned, um, you'll go to hell. And there you will experience eternal punishment. And at the end of that story, the king says, when you failed to do it to them, it proved you failed to do it to me. Another way to put it is the Lord was saying, when you closed your heart to the poor, when you closed your heart to the needy, when you closed your heart to those on the margins, those who have been been forgotten, when you closed your heart to the prisoner, And the sinner, that proved that your heart was close to me. See that parallel. I think helps us understand what Jesus is saying here. When the king in this story of the unmerciful uh, servant says, "the he's in essence saying the fact that you did not open your heart in mercy to your friend or to the fellow servant." proved that you had never really opened your heart to my mercy. Like my mercy, my act of mercy really did nothing for you. You didn't really experience it or embrace it. Jesus is not saying like, if you forgive, you go to heaven and if you don't forgive, you'll go, you'll go to hell. What he is saying is he's saying like, if you don't forgive your brothers and sisters, if you don't forgive your neighbor, It's a sign in your heart that you were never really opened to my grace. One pastor I heard kind of describe it like this. Uh, He said, imagine two trees side by side, two apple trees side by side in, uh, in October. You look at those two apple trees in October and you expect what? To see apples on both of those trees. But if one tree has apples and the other tree does not, we assume that the tree with apples is healthy and the other tree without apples is diseased or dying. And the, and the reality is it is not the fruit that gives the tree life. The fruit reveals that the tree has life. Life. And this is when, when Jesus says, he goes, you will know who are my true followers by their fruit. You'll see it in the way they live their life. Like you are a living example. And so is, is, is our lives, like are we bearing fruit? Are we showing that we've experienced the grace, the true presence and power and grace of Jesus Christ, that we truly understand the gospel and that we've, we've received the gospel. And Jesus is saying like, if you cannot forgive people, you need to seriously question whether or not you have. In fact, I would go as far to say, he's saying you haven't. Like, if, if you hold grudges in your heart against one another, if you refuse to forgive, if you seek vengeance rather than forgiveness, I think Jesus is saying, you really have not experienced the grace of what I've done for you. You have not had an encounter with the living God. You have not experienced the good news, the gospel. When you stay, um, you know, when you stay angry at somebody uh, and you refuse to forgive, there is a sort of prison that you are put yourself in. This person was put in prison where he experienced punishment. That's, that's how the story goes. And you go, wow, that sounds harsh. It's really harsh of the king, and it's really hard-hitting. And yet, in, in, it's, it's, it's very realistic if you think about it. Because when you refuse, when I refuse to forgive, we, we in essence, um, are imprisoning ourselves. Because when we choose to stay angry at, at others, when we, when we choose to hold grudges, um, when we refuse to forgive, it, it creates in us a feeling of self-righteousness. It makes us feel wronged, and in doing so, it makes us feel better. It makes us become someone who has a lot of self-pity and self-centered, and, and in doing so makes us self-righteous and moves us further and further from God. And in doing so, we are becoming more like Satan than Christ. And we are, we, we, are in, we are, in doing so, burdening our souls and imprisoning our souls and experiencing eternal punishments because all of that stuff that I talked about, The self-pity, the self-righteousness, the anger, all that stuff does is birth more and more death and sin. And we get further and further and further away from the fruit of the Spirit. The things that we need, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I am... I dated a girl once who um, at one point, you know, it's like somewhat serious, I guess. we were still young, so there probably wasn't a chance that anything was really going to happen. But at the time, you think this is it and this person's the best and, and all that stuff. And I remember like, having a conversation where she's just like, yeah, I don't want to get married. I was like, oh, I do at some point. Like, this, probably not a good long-term <laughs> chance for this one then. But she's like, yeah, I don't want to get married. I was like, oh, why? she goes, because I saw like my parents' relationship just crumble. I saw, you know, like the way that my dad just didn't show up. I saw just the bitterness that that created in my mom and what ultimately led to their relationship failing and them getting divorced. And then I saw the you know, and experience that pain for myself. I saw it in my siblings, and like I just don't want anything to do with that. I don't want any part of that, and I don't want to create. You know, and relive that in any way. I then went on a date with a girl, <laughs> and the other one of these girls I married, by the way, um, who <laughs> I got. It was a blind date and I said, sure, I'll go on a blind date, why not, and uh, went out and grabbed coffee with this gal, and I, the person who set me up said, like, hey, like, she's one of 12 kids, and I was like, that's, wow, that's a lot, like, that's, that's a lot, especially this time, you know, that wasn't a lot, like, probably 100 years ago, but it is now, and, and, uh, and so we're having coffee, and, you know, like, on a blind date, you're just like, who are you, and, like, we just, I hope I can keep this going because this is awkward, you know, like, and so I'm trying to think of, like, different questions to ask, and I was like, so, and now looking back, I go, oh, oh, not a great one. I go, so, like, yeah, you're, like, one of 12, like, are you going to have a lot of kids? And she looked at me as if I had, like, like, talked against her mom, you know, like, spoken against her mom. She's like, excuse me? (laughs) And I was like, well, yeah, you come from a big family. Is that, like, your thing? Like, are you going to have a big family? She goes, no. I'm not gonna have kids at all. I later found out that like, she went and called her friend after that. He's like, What sort of dude asks me on the first date how many kids? I'm like, And so then my friend calls me, like, Why'd you do that? I go, Relax, oh my word. Wasn't asking her to get married and have a big family. This is like trying to think of things to ask this person I don't know. What's it like being one of 12? You wanna have 12? I don't know. So anyways, I'm still bitter about it. I probably have to forgive some people about it. Um, but I was like, oh, wow, like, yeah, okay. And she's like, yeah, I just, when you're one of 12, you're easily forgotten. You know, like I didn't get a lot of time with mom or dad. And I don't, I don't want to live that. I, like, I don't, I don't want to have kids because I don't, I don't want to potentially fall short in their lives. Last story, and all these stories are connected, and I'll share how. I was hearing a pastor tell a story about how they would do VBS and every summer, similar to what we do. And it was this small church in a rural area, and one of the things they would do is they would just go knock on people's doors. This was many years ago, Times have changed. I don't know what happened if you knocked on door and invited kids to VBS. Maybe we should try it, but they would do this. And most people were excited, you know, most, even the people that didn't go to the church, like, "Oh, cool, like my kids can go uh, to this thing during the summer. Uh, great. But uh, the pastor went and knocked on the door of this, this one person and this man came and they go, hey, we want to invite you to VBS and here's the kids. And my dad goes, no way. No, nope, my kids won't ever go, even if they want to. And the pastor was intrigued just, and he goes, why, why not? He goes, because my dad and mom dragged me to every single church activity when I was a kid. I had no say in the matter. And I was forced to go to everything. Forced to go to church, and I will never force my kids to go to church. Now, what are the what are what are sort of the um, parallels to all three of these stories? Um, all three, sadly, are examples of people who are still mad, holding anger and bitterness toward their parents and in doing so they're still being controlled by them that the behavior of these two gals the behavior of this father is like it's still being controlled by their parents and it's it's just it's sad but that that's what happens when we ref, when we hold anger and we refuse to forgive now i i like i empathize It's a terrible thing to to see your parents' relationship shatter before you. It's a terrible thing to be forgotten or be abandoned as a child. It's a terrible thing to have a childhood experience where your parents didn't show up. It's a terrible thing to have, you know, your parents like force religion down your throat. But the truth is, every single one of you in this room has experienced unfortunate things in your life. The one thing I can promise you is you live long enough, you will experience trauma in your life. You will experience people not showing up. You didn't get to choose that. You didn't get to choose the family you were born into. You didn't get to choose whether or not your dad showed up or not. You didn't get to choose whether or not your parents had a good marriage. You didn't get to choose who abused you. You didn't get to choose your friend turning, back, turning their back on you. All of us here are victims of, of some sorts of pain or suffering or trauma. and And, and the truth is, while you, while you and I, we, have, we, haven't, we don't have control over that stuff, we do have control over whether or not we want to stay angry. Whether or not we are, we are willing to forgive. Whether or not we want to stay burdened and imprisoned by what's been done to us. It's a sad thing to be a victim of all those things. But you don't have to stay a victim. And it's hard to forgive. I get it. Like some of those things that some of you have experienced in life, you go, that person doesn't deserve it. Yeah, probably not. But neither do I. That's where... um, there's something that Jesus or the Master says in this story that I want to point out that I, I hope would help you maybe take a step toward forgiveness. And if the Spirit's, if you're allowing the Spirit to work right now, I hope that He's stirring someone that you need to forgive in your life. And there might be a push, and I get it, like it's hard but um, one of the things that, that in the story that I think can, can sort of maybe help us take a first step toward forgiveness and getting out of the imprisonment of our soul, the bondage of unforgiveness, um, he says this. In verse 27, it says the master, uh, the servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. Um, That word pity, it's not the greatest sort of English word, because I think when we think of the word pity, we sort of go, oh, you know, sort of, oh, like I'm better than the person and I'm of higher stature, and here's someone who's not, and I sort of pity, I pity them and I feel sorry for them. That's actually not the best way to describe that word. The word in the Bible, the Greek word, it it translates um, into a more compassion sort of definition but the, the word, that sort of phrase, take pity, we have a, uh, a phrase in the English that literally defines that Greek word, and that is, your heart goes out to someone. You ever heard that saying, like, your heart goes out to them? That's what, that's what when it says the master took pity on the servant, it, it's saying the master's heart went out to the servant. And what it means is, is the master is not looking at the servant as I'm better than you and you're lower and uh, scoff, scoffingly sort of takes pity on it, pity on the, the servant. In essence, what it's saying is it's saying that the king is identifying with the servant. It means that like you're, you're, you're seeing things from their perspective. You're experiencing true like empathy. To have like pity on somebody according to the text who's wronged you means you deliberately do the internal work of reminding yourself of how much you actually have in common. See, that's the thing that we do with people who have hurt us. We sort of go like, you're here and I'm here. Like, What sort of person are you? Like, how could you do that? See, the pain initiates kind of a promotion of oneself. Like, I'm better than you. How could you do that? You hear the stories of people who have done heinous things, and you go, "Like I could never do that." I would, I, I would hear in my time as a pastor a, a pretty common story of a pastor falling short in ministry. You know, committing adultery against his wife. Um, butchering, you know, finances of the church or bullying or, you know, these sorts of things. And I would hear these stories. And if I'm honest, for a long time, I'd just go, I'd scoff at those, those men. <sighs> and in doing so, I was, make, I was sort of saying, I'm better. Like, how could they do that? I would never do that. That person wasn't really called by God. That person isn't really a pastor. Look what they did. And look at me. I don't do that stuff. And in doing so, it creates a, a self-righteousness, which is as ugly as the offense that's been done to you. And it is impossible to forgive people um, when you have promoted yourself to being better than them. And I realized something um, in my failures, as a man and as as a follower of Jesus, um, that I am perfectly capable of committing any and all of those sins. I am no different than the failure of of these men. Given the right circumstances, I can I could do it just as easily. We um, have to get there. Our hearts have to learn to go out to one another. To truly learn, like, what does it mean to really have empathy? What it means to make your heart go out to somebody is to deliberately, instead of saying, I would never do that, and look how different I am and look how better I am, is to say, no, I'm not different. I'm just like them. And I'm perfectly capable of doing what they've done. I'm going to invite the band out. Um, and I just want to invite you to take a time to pray now and go, how am I allowing, like self-righteousness to get in the way of me forgiving my dad? You know how am I? How am I getting? Um, how am I allowing like self pity? Sort of plain, like I am the victim, and that person needs to pay. How are you allowing that to just continue to imprison you, and wage war on your soul? And I want to just invite you. And Brody preached on this last week of like surrendering wholeheartedly to Jesus the first step is not to to try to find empathy the first step is man having a a true repenting encounter with Jesus Christ truly experience the gospel maybe for the first time in your life truly receive God's forgiveness Truly just let go of trying to earn it or truly get honest and admit to God your mess and that you need a savior. And Brody powerfully was like, man, it's this posture of getting on your knees and just being like, I surrender. I'm a mess. I'm a sinner. I'm no better. And let Jesus, let the encounter of Jesus Be real, maybe for the first time in your life. Because without that, without truly experiencing that, it would be really difficult to forgive people who have really hurt you. But maybe you have experienced that, but you're just, yeah, you're lacking the empathy because it's easy to respond to pain by medicating and sort of, telling ourselves we're better. And if we're honest, we've judged a lot of people, and I've judged a lot of people. But to just look and go, I'm, I am, I'm no better. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's me, that's you, all. He didn't say some, we all have. But we've all For God so loved the world, the world, that he gave his one and only Son. That whoever believes, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Do you you hear this? We've all fallen short, but Jesus died for all of us. So would you stand with me? And Holy Spirit now, just in this moment, um, do something in our hearts in this space that we cannot manufacture ourselves I ask for a movement of the spirit and encounter with God in a real way that the good news of Jesus Christ would move from our ears to our heads deep into our hearts if we need to get on our knees we surrender if we need to go across the room and ask for forgiveness we do so if we need to just finally forgive our parents or our dad or our mom or the person who hurt us, the person who didn't show up, the person who rejected us, the person who abused us. Man, God, it is hard. And so I ask for your spirit to help us. But I do know in the midst of its challenges, you, di- you, you died so we do not have to be imprisoned in bitterness, self-righteousness, hate, and vengeance. So Spirit, help us to forgive. And not just now, but that it would be a part of the way we follow you, Jesus. Prayed in Jesus' name, amen.